Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at Go Behind the Timeline. Check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. We gotta keep our composure. <laughs> Everybody, get ready. <laughs> Everyone, get go. Because it's it's not Morbius, is what it's it is. Not Morbius, Lindsay, you delightful little maniac. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm so a day! Glad. So I glad I'm not doing Morbius. So you guys might have noticed if it wasn't painfully obvious. This is not Morbius. Uh, we, if you didn't see our Twitter um, or our Instagram, we made the executive decision uh on thursday that we were not going to be covering morbius uh it is getting review bombed hardcore and everything that we've been reading is it's just it's not great um it's not not worth the time i'm still gonna see it i'm still gonna do a review of it on my own for the patreon so if you're not subscribed to the patreon you might want to get on that if you want to know what i think of morbius but we're not going to bring you guys like shit movies anymore (laughs) I just and I just wasn't motivated to go to the theater for it. Like honestly, it sounded so bad that like the process of that just no. And like and like the eight dollars to go to the matinee or whatever, just no. Right. So and I was gonna see that Friday night actually. I was gonna pay like full price. No. For, you know, That's a hard pass. Absolutely not. So we're not doing Morbius, which frankly I think is great because we are doing the great mouse detective. The great mouse detective. So much better than Morbius. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that this is a better totally movie. Totally was. Yeah. I would have watched this a million <laughs> times before. I'd probably go see Morbius. Dude, definitely. And um and I was I was not disappointed in it'd been a while since I'd seen this. Have you seen this like as an adult? When was the last oh, time yeah. you've seen this? I watch this movie all the time, honestly. I love this movie. This movie cracks me the fuck up. Well, okay. Actually, let me let me add a little wrinkle, a little mystery to this. Oh, shit. Um, I thought for sure that I hadn't seen it since I had it on probably VHS, right? Like, I know oh. this isn't one that I had the DVD of. Like, I, I definitely was thinking, okay, I haven't seen this since VHS. But, like, I loved this movie as a kid. I watched this oh, all the yeah. time, right? But I was thinking it had been since then. But when I pulled it up on Disney+, Plus. Some someone potentially me. Oh shit! Had watched like the first third of it, and so here's the thing: like I have friends who use my Disney Plus. Everyone has their own profile for the most part. Right. So, so if, it had to have been you. Potentially, it doesn't. Maybe not necessarily. It's possible that it wasn't. Like I think my sister had it for a while and was using mine. I don't know, Chelsea. Do you have your own Disney Plus? I have no idea. I, you know, like it's po- it's possible that someone has my login that watched it under my profile, but the likelihood is that it was me and I don't remember. And so I'm really enjoying thinking through like, all right, it hasn't been that long since Disney Plus came out. <laughs> like there's not that many opportunities. Like I'm old and boring now. I'm like, when did I get so fucked up that I don't remember that I watched the first third of The Great Mouse Detective? <laughs> Dude, I wonder if it wasn't when you were on your ski trip. No, it definitely wasn't. Because um, oh, okay. that was so recently I, I would have remembered. No, I, I just would remember that because that was only a couple months ago. Like for sure I would know. Oh, that's true. 
And I wasn't that fucked up. I remember my ski trip. That's this is what I'm saying. Like, it's, I'm not someone who like drinks a ton and like blacks out. You <laughs> know what I mean? I'm like, day. yeah, like I'm like, no, I must have been high as a motherfucker. I can't imagine what led me to be like, I because I hadn't even thought to put this on. It's not like I don't know. So anyway, little wrinkle. I don't actually know when the last time I saw some of this was. I so to unwrinkle your wrinkle and make my own. Um, I never owned this on VHS. I owned it on DVD. But we never. Weird. This was one. Yeah, it was. We never owned this. We never owned the re- the first rescuers. Um, we did own rescuers down under, which I always thought was weird. But yeah, we. I didn't own this, and so I didn't get to see this until like. I don't, dude. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I just remember like it being one of my favorites growing up. After I had seen it the first time, but you must have been pretty old. This wasn't like because this this movie, to be clear, and we will go into this was came out in nineteen eighty six which is before I right before either of us was born. Right. So this wasn't like in your house when you were a little kid, though, if you had this on DVD, you were a preteen. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have it as a kid. Yeah. We had this one from, this was one that played over and over and over again when we were really little and we loved it. But so take us in Scott, let's, let's dive into it. Honestly, dude, like Radigan, like I love this movie. Like Radigan, honestly, could be one of the most underrated and hilarious Disney villains of all time. And I said what I said. Fucking fight me. You know where to find me on social media. Bring it You're at me. You're not wrong, dude. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're back with Disney, and you know what that means? Multiple directors. <laughs> uh, we've got Ron Clements, Bernie Mattinson, and David Michener in uh, all come together to bring Peter Young, Vance Gary, who is back. Uh, he was one of the writers on Black Cauldron uh, and Steve Hewlett's story to life. Um, and in order to bring these characters to life, Disney enlisted Barry Ingham as Basil, Val Benton as Dawson, and the studly, goosebump-inducing vocal perfection of Vincent Price, who if no one knows who Vincent Price is, oh man, I feel so bad for you. He was in the original 1959 House, of ha- House on Haunted Hill. He was in the 1953 original House of Wax. And for more recent pop culture, he is the guy that reads the monologue at the end of the thriller music video. Hmm. Um, and Vincent Price was Professor Radigan. And it was actually one of his bucket lists to read or to do vocals for a Disney character. And this was one of his favorite movies he ever did. I get why, because he's incredible as Radigan. Dude, he's awesome. Hit me with a summary. Fine. I don't know why I said that so aggressively. I don't either. I'm like, sorry, I cut you off. Did you have something important? No, I don't remember what I was going to say. So fuck it. Um, (laughs) After the abduction of her father by a peg-legged bat, young Olivia Flaversham enlists the keen sleuthing talents of the infamous Basil of Baker Street alongside Dr. David Q. Dawson. Realizing his arch nemesis, Professor Radigan, is the villain behind the kidnapping, Basil and crew set out to bring the nefarious Napoleon of crime to justice before he can bring down all of Mousedom. All of Mousedom. I can't tell you guys how fucking hilarious it is to me that Lindsay thinks that's so funny because that's literally what Radigan calls it. Oh, I know. No, they say it like multiple times in the movie and it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Come on. So no, funny. it is. I fucking love it. It's oh, hysterical. Mousedom. It's so oh, dramatic. Mousedom. <laughs> it's so dramatic. It makes me so happy. It really kind of is. And this is 
and we're gonna tell you guys like a little theory that Lindsay has cooked up that I am a hundred percent on board with uh, a little bit later. But yeah, there's a yeah. Anyway, all of them. No, we have to go back through, and so my theory, and we will discuss it. Uh, in more depth, but my theory is that this is part of the Rescuers universe, and I wonder if they ever say Mousedom in the Rescuers. I want to look through like the. We're gonna have, and have to go back and look. Yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody, send us feedback. Is it referred to as Mousedom in the Rescuers? Because we'll talk about it. Uh, you can stream this, as I said, on Disney Plus, which is a boon to society and one of it the is. great great things about Disney Plus is that you can now watch the Great Mouse Detective at your leisure. Um, and. Uh, do we want to hit on some Patreon stuff at the start of the month? Yes, we do. Um, so it is the start of the month. Um, this is the first episode of the month. So obviously we're going to be hitting up all the people who are super awesome and, you know, supporting us on Patreon. Um, but yeah, I want to give a shout out to my Aunt Jamie, my mom, um, Andrew and Chris. Thank you guys so much for hooking it up. You guys are awesome. We love you. Um, if you guys want us to read out your names, all you got to do is go to the Patreon, choose one of the donation options, even if it's just like, hey, I want to give you guys like three bucks for this uh, this show. All, that's all you guys got to do. Um, and links for the Patreon is always found in the uh, in the episode descriptions. You can find them on our website. But thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. But you know what? To the timeline. <laughs> to the timeline, indeed. <laughs> It is the year 1986, um, and I was conspicuously absent last week for Top Gun. You, you guys did talk about some of like the heavy hitters of '86. So I know I wanted to pick only like the big shit. Well, we have, as we've learned, multiple opportunities to come back and do some timeline talk in each of these years. Now that things are starting to heat up, so we we hit on kind of the big stuff last week, but some other fun things that were happening in '86. The Phantom of the Opera debuted in London's West End. The Oprah Winfrey Show debuted on TV. It was the year of Iran-Contra affair when President Ronald Reagan's administration sold arms to Iran, who's an enemy. That was a huge situation. We had mad cow disease striking Great Britain, and smoking was banned on public transport in the U.S., um, back to Mouse Detective. Received positively, lots of financial success, but not considered for any Academy Awards. Um, despite using one of the first major movies to use computer animation in the Clock Tower, which is like looks yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it does. But nothing. Um, no awards for the Great Mouse Detective. But it does get 14 million. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Had a 14 million dollar budget, and it made 38.7 million. Mm-hmm. So. Yet another film that saved Disney. Just a little tobacco warning on the top left of this one. No yeah, we got nothing. Warning. Yeah. When there, dude, if there was ever a movie that I feel we finally should have had some kind of like adult notification or anything, it's definitely this movie. This movie, and then Roger Rabbit, which I think Roger Rabbit does have one, but I'm pretty sure. Well, we're gonna find out. Speaking of cigarettes, though, Lindsay, what the <laughs> hell? Yeah, this is a weird thing that. Um, 
This is, I guess, one of only three of the animated films to feature cigarettes. Like legit cigarettes. Yeah, not just, yeah, like, not just smoking. smoking in the background. Because there's a lot of cigars and pipes, right? Yeah. But cigs. Anyway, <laughs> just in the parks, there's nothing. And I think that that's really strange because it was a popular movie. Radigan used to appear as a uh, meetable character in in uh, like parades and stuff, but it it became very apparent very quickly that he was scaring the shit out of kids. Yo, that's legit though. I get that. Yeah. That tracks. Radigan's terrifying. He is. He's that's straight funny. up like horrifying. But yeah, to the movie. We really started talking about this, I think, in the Black Cauldron, and we're kind of here now where we're looking at the Eisner era and Katzenberg and Disney under Disney doing a completely different style of just new management, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but just like in the Black Cauldron, now that we're under Katzenberg and Eisner, we're starting to see the seeds of the Renaissance. And so I think yeah. it's these guys just took over and they have ownership over the final two movies of the Dark Age before the Renaissance starts. Mm-hmm. Well, three movies, right? Because we're not doing Oliver and Well, Cooper we're not doing Oliver and Company. still exists. And it's still in the Dark Age. I'm like, technically, that's still part of this, right? So of the animated films, because Roger yeah. Rabbit's in there too, but of the animated films, did these guys preside over Fox and the Hound as well? No. So they came in in the in the summer of 1985 was when they were coming in. Okay. So they took on Black Cauldron and Mouse Detective, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Oliver and Company, and then the Renaissance, which is the stuff they're best known for. But all of those aforementioned movies happened between 85 and 88. So it, we're looking at just a few years where they're kind of like, figuring their shit out they're like you know carving their teeth a little bit right what's yeah. the phrase Sharpening cutting their, their teeth. teeth yeah cutting their, cutting teeth, their yeah. teeth yeah they're like they're getting they're getting ready to do i mean to really like completely change the world and i think having having gone through the timeline like this and doing most of the disney you know yeah um it's really interesting to see how bad a lot of it has been and not even oh, just yeah. to our eyes now, but like the way it was received at the time. Um, they're about to turn the Disney company completely on its head into as the successful machine that we know it to be today. And prior, this thing was like not working. No. And that's <laughs> that's the huge part of this. So you guys have to remember, if you didn't listen to the Black Cauldron episode, um, I'll kind of give you a brief overview. Um, Michael Eisner and Jer- Jeffrey Katzenberg had come in as the CEO and the chairman, respectively, uh, during mid-production of The Black Cauldron. Jeffrey Katzenberg hated the, the way that that movie looked so bad that he fought for like multiple changes which led to the first deleted scene from Disney, uh, but it led to watering down the movie a lot, but... Again, they came in in the middle of that movie. The Great Mouse Detective, from start to finish, was the first official Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, and Jeffrey Katzenberg helmed Disney movie. Mm -hmm. So this is their first, like, jump into that pool. And for it to be an absolute banger, 
and if essentially like save the the Disney production company it spoke volumes to shareholders it spoke volumes to other studios but mainly it spoke volumes to people within Disney who had grown concerned with things like Roy Disney was no longer focusing on the parks no new rides were coming out no like crazy expansion was happening and so Eisner and Katzenberg coming in and being like bruh <laughs> we gotta <laughs> do something uh i think it was, it was it was really huge um the problem is this is also where you start seeing that eisner for all of his positives had some major major negatives when he arrived and the majority for the movies had been greenlit this movie was originally given a 24 million dollar budget but Eisner came in and slashed the shit out of that and gave them only a $10 million budget. But on top of that, and again, this is another weird thing, and I don't know what it is about Disney movies, but this movie was also slated to release in December of 1987. And it feels Christmassy. It kind like, of does, I, that right? Tracks. When I saw that yeah. in your notes, I was like, yeah, this would have been a great like Christmas time movie. Yeah, Absolutely. It's it's just crazy. It's also one of it's one of my fun facts, but it's also one of the very few Disney movies that in one hundred percent from start to finish takes place entirely at night. Yeah, not a single scene of this movie is ever in the daytime. You never see yeah. the sun in this movie. I mean, it's like Batman. It's true. It's very <laughs> true. Which I said it before, but seeing Batman in the day is just fucking weird. So so weird. <laughs> it um, just calls to attention that he is out yeah. there, indeed, dressed as a bat for dressed for no discernible reason. And you're <laughs> like, like, oh like... shit, this guy actually is kind of insane. Um, dress me as a bat. <laughs> but yeah, so Michael Eisner was like, "Hey guys, December uh, or Christmas of 1987? That's a long way away. What if we did? I don't know, July 1986." Uh, <laughs> That gave animators barely a year to finish this movie. Which is wild. It's like, crazy. I, I can't believe that it was a financial success. Because at the end of the day, like it, it's a bummer that people didn't like it, but Disney made money and stayed to float, right? So they, well, yeah. who cares? And it's one of those things that it's like, man, people were motivated even after Black Cauldron to go see this movie, huh? It, yeah. Because people didn't like it, but it made a ton of money. And... Budget cutting has not historically been like a good thing for Disney as we've gone through the timeline. Like the movies that were like, wow, this looks like dog shit. We're like, yeah, they cut the budget by like it's <laughs> and this time, you know, it, it it either feels like they cut the budget and and it doesn't do super well. But because they have this like weird formula where they think that the cheaper they make it, the more money they're going to make, which is like not a winner for Disney. Or they spend a lot of money, but they do something that audiences aren't like ready for, like Sleeping Beauty. Where they lost money because it was just all the like, animation was weird and trees were square and yeah it looked great but it wasn't what people wanted and then they they kind of refined that into the Renaissance I think that the Little Mermaid we're gonna see is a movie where like they've spent money I'm convinced we will yeah. find that Disney spent money on the Little Mermaid and that it was incredibly successful it with box office and with critics because it looks fucking awesome and it's not this like weird swing for the fences like a almost like if they'd made spider verse in the 80s or something you know it's like people aren't ready for that like i just they weren't written sleeping beauty you know the other thing that's like it's it's crazy to think about well not i i guess it's not really crazy because you have to look at it from like the progression of uh you know like events so 
you got the black cauldron comes out and then the general audience is like what the literal fuck was that disney horror movie um and then this movie comes out and you're like okay this is like funny and like uh, you know it's it's got the potential to be like a good kids movie and shit and then god damn it that bat is scary as fuck and then god damn it have you listened to some of the lyrics in these songs and then god damn it they're gonna fuck that mouse and then god damn it that route that rat is scary as shit no this movie like flew under the radar of people who did not think that disney could make a successful almost adult cartoon because i'm convinced (laughs) that this was not 100 percent meant for kids no there's no way a lot of uh well, okay, so that kind of takes us into the next section, which I have titled Something Not Terrible This Way Comes, because Disney's <laughs> working on it. <laughs> and it reminds me of the way that more modern Disney films and, and a lot of what we see in the Renaissance will be a little bit adult. Like there's this element that Disney and that, that is like crucial for all animated projects now that you have something for adults in it that there be little nods and we've noticed that in a handful of movies oddly some of them in the golden age um but for the most part we haven't seen a lot of this yet and i think that the adult-ishness of mouse detective kind of points out where disney's gonna go with some of the in jokes and adult references and things that we'll see in the Renaissance. like they're working on it this is their first attempt i think to make it yeah. a little more relatable to adults like the way that we see uh sherlock like the real sherlock lives next door to basil in like the real human house like that's kind of a renaissance style callback right so there's there's like a lot of those tropes here Mm -hmm. and the ones that i called out and i want to know what you caught were were so that right segue into it that it has some of those sort of adult themes yeah it's it's uh, the first domino of the queer coded villains of the Renaissance. We're going to talk a lot more about that later. Um, but they have like the goofy villain sidekick who's somehow more threatening than the villain kind of um, like the hyenas and Iago. After I read your note, I kind of started thinking about it. I'm like, this kind of feels like this does. I mean, Black Cauldron kind of tried to do it with the goblin, but it didn't really yeah. work out because he wasn't he did. He wasn't good at his job. He was just a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first like legitimate like sidekick that actually not only was good at his job, but was genuinely like terrifying, but yeah. also like a complete imbecile next to the main villain, which I do have to let you guys know, like I, some of the funniest quotes in this entire movie are from Radigan when he's talking to fidget, like yeah. when he realize <laughs> when he realizes that he can trick Basil into, uh, uh, like capturing Basil and the little girl at the toy store, he makes Felicia, the big obscenely fat cat, spit Fidget back out. And then he picks up <laughs> Fidget by his uh, his face and he just goes, Fidget, you delightful little maniac. I don't know why. <laughs> the shit just like, it cracks me up. And we're going to talk about it later, but Radigan is like the catalyst for my love of the gentleman villain. Yeah, we are going to talk about that later. I want to hear, I want to, I want to um, unpack that. Um, but yeah, but I'm thinking like a flotsam and jetsam type character. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I feel like we're getting there. Um and like 
Radigan at the end when he goes from being all campy to super terrifying. It reminds me of yeah. Gaston. Like I was getting yep. vibes of that scene at the top of the castle. Like what what else you get? What do we see here that's like the building blocks of the Renaissance? So the other thing, and I'm gonna point this out because this is how Disney has coded it. Technically, this is not a musical. Disney has has said this is coded as not a musical. The three times that we get a song in this movie, two of them are sung by Radigan. One of them is an actual performance in the movie, which I'm talking about. Let me be good to you. Um, but this started this like weird trend of sometimes the movie is going to be a musical, but it's not going to be considered a musical. And one of the ones that I would personally say is not technically a musical uh is hunchback of notre dame because a lot of times in that movie the songs are being sung during a celebration or during like a festival or something so it's not it's like more in universe singing than just like i'm walking through my castle i gotta sing about the things on the wall kind of thing so the the distinction you're making is the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic movies or music within the movie and diegetic is when it's part of the story, like the characters could hear it. Yes. And so like Radigan's song is very much diegetic, like it's part of what's happening. Um, the same with like the song that's played on the the uh, record player Recorder. later is yeah. diegetic. And I think a lot of the music in Hunchback is also diegetic. And the non-diegetic music is like when... Beauty and the Beast, Snow White. Snow yeah, White. or like the best example of it, I think is like in the live action Aladdin. When Jasmine oh sings God. her her song about not being silenced, but it's in her imagination. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's like the best example of non-diegetic music in movies. But so, yes, that that is what uh, that distinction allows Disney to be a little bit finicky, because yeah. I would argue this is more of a musical than, for instance, Bambi. Oh, 100%. And for some reason, they think Bambi is a musical. I don't yeah, get that shit at all. Yeah, because of Little April Showers. One song. That's the One only song. And it's non-diegetic. The, yeah. I, don't th- I don't think the it's characters not. hear that song. They, like they totally don't. In the real world. No. It's a song so, about the events in the movie. Like, it's not. <laughs> maybe it's. I don't. It, Bambi should not be considered a musical. We come back to this yeah. often. But all yeah, this is. Um, I mean. There haven't been, to be fair, that many proper Disney musicals in the timeline so far at all. Up to all. this point, yeah. All of these movies have like, like, okay, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Snow White arguably was a musical. I always Snow say White. there's a lot of music in Snow White. Cinderella. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Peter Pan. No. Yeah, they sing like multiple songs in, well. Uh, Peter Pan, I would say, is like right in the middle, like on the line. Uh, yeah, I would have to give Peter Pan yeah. another middle ground because a lot of those songs are the same thing. They're diegetic. They're they're them aware of the song, which doesn't make it not part of. No, a I'm not saying it's not you know like a I mean? musical. I just, like that's tough. There's just a lot of music in Peter Pan. Like it makes yeah. me feel like it should count. But like Robin Hood has one song. It's a oh, smattering, yeah. but going forward, we're going to have some very musical heavy movies. Yeah, and we're getting the legitimate Radigan musical. Radigan is setting the stage for sure of us starting to pull those in. Absolutely. Uh, but that was my only other thing was like, I don't, I think this starts the trope of like, not necessarily like creating that boundary between what is and is not a musical. It finally mm-hmm. like sets that stage. 
Well, and it's it's like the last movie not to commit. Yeah, exactly. Right, because we've had. Well, I think there's been a lot of middle ground, and from yeah. here forward, Katzenberg and Eisner are like, nah. Um, Tell me about the universe that this is really taking place. Yeah, in I want to talk about my little theory. I was switch gears here, so. <laughs> This is like so rescuers, right? They have like the little house mouses and bars. Everything exists like within Muggle London, right? So before we even get into that, I do have a thorn in your theory. Why? And I feel like I need to point it out. The rescuers universe, their houses and all of their stuff is built out of trash and neglected things in the human world. The Rescue Aid Society takes place inside an abandoned trunk. Uh, their uh, their airport is on top of a helicopter pad. However, mm. in this movie, they have legitimate houses. They have legitimate castles, bars, pubs, stuff like that. They are actual buildings. They are just smaller and built into the sides of things. So, okay, that is a very fair comment. Let me ask you this. Where did the rescuers take place when they were in the Rescue Aid Society? Was it in Central Europe or was it in London? Oh, God. They were in the States. What? In the Rescue Aid Society? They were in New York. They were at at NATO. Yeah, they're in New York. You're right. And they still were. Okay, because I was going to say maybe it wasn't like. Because I mean, remember, they have to damn, go from where they are. Damn, you're fucking with my theory. I, I know, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to say that the British mice are more sophisticated. <laughs> they are. I'm 100% behind this, that they actually have legit buildings that don't have to use trash. Yeah, they're just like, they're just British. And it also has that like foggy, terrifying mood that the rescuers yeah, have. And like Olivia reminds me of the little girl from the rescuers and the plot. And like Basil's whole thing of being like, I'm going to help people. And I'm like, he feels like the rescue aid society. And I just feel like this is part of the rescuers universe. And like, I demand a crossover. Like I just, I, I can't, I dude, honest. That's what I'm saying. Like, I would not be shocked if this was not like some kind of precursor to the formation of the rescue aid society or Basil was like, because this takes place at the turn of the century because they still have carts. They still have, there's no motor vehicles. Uh, confirmed uh, the, it's it's uh oh i wrote i discalculate 1897 oh okay i was like what the hell am i no reading right I, I wrote 1987 that this takes place and no it, it does take place it's like victorian yeah because there's no motor cars sense. the the creation of the robot queen was a marvel of technology so like for them they were like holy shit and then the rescuers that and the rescuers down under i know <laughs> Um, it's uh, those movies take place in the late 30s, late 40s. You can tell by the style of Medusa's car in The Rescuers. Um, and then right. uh, I want to say Rescuers Down Under is like maybe 10 years later, not even because Bianca and no, Bernard are still together. Like a couple years, yeah, yeah. I feel like I don't, I would rather instead of it being like a prequel to the Rescue Aid Society or like, like he creates it, I'd like to think that it exists even in the 1800s and he's like a prior member, but Basil's just like too like renegade. Yeah, he's just I'm like, here for no, that. No, I have to go make my own, my own way and I'm not going to be part of the society. And like the society burned him and he was, you know, he wanted to do things differently but like it still exists alongside and there's i just yeah i choose to believe this is all part of the same thing i also want to point out because i just don't know where else to mention it but it's true 
Um, we keep saying we skipped all the animal movies, but no, sir, we're we're watching the rodent ones. We I don't know what that's about because we did not discuss this. This is completely a freak accident. But we say yeah. this every time an animal movie comes up, guys. But honest to God, like we did not have a conversation about this prior to to making this podcast like we were not you know like what it is we're doing the ones with the sexy ones we're doing the ones with, with robin true. hood yep with yeah. basil bianca like tell me she's not a bombshell bro yeah you know like it's we're we're doing the animal movies with the sexy ones that's what it is <laughs> i don't really think there's anything <laughs> sexy about oliver and company or but you know anyway, but. what there is something sexy about is my man basil baker Street. basil he is mm-hmm. bro he's got a gun yeah well what the fuck that <laughs> never comes up again and it doesn't he doesn't bring it on his adventure where it would have been super useful like he's just firing it off randomly inside the house what, what is that about What's no he about? he's firing the bullet because he steals a bullet from um a crime scene to investigate to see if it was fired from a gun that is owned by Radigan. If he has, if the bullet scrapes match or like if the scraping on the bullet matches the scraping on the bullet, he took from an earlier case that he knows was fired by Radigan. He can confirm that Radigan is the one that like committed this murder that we come in on. Right. He's running ballistics on it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But him coming in and fucking shooting uh, the pillows is like one of first of all i don't know what it is that's so funny about this scene to me but him being terrified of his housekeeper cracks me the fuck up (laughs) i liked his like eccentric like he was a really great sherlock holmes like he's eccentric and neurotic and he's like but he does actually care and he's a sweetheart and he's you know it's kind of kind of a smoke show but yeah he's so i I like he's like a great sherlock right for all of those reasons but yeah he's so, well, and the parallels are obviously there. Like, of course he's based on Sherlock because Sherlock yeah. appears, uh, you know, up, he lives above them. Um, and a lot of people, if you're in like the pop culture scene, a lot of people think that the audio clips taken from uh, Sherlock and home or Sherlock and Watson talking upstairs is from an old episode of Sherlock um, from back. I think back from like the fifties. It's not Basil Rathbone, who is the voice of Sherlock, uh, used to read Sherlock Holmes on the radio. And that's where that those clips are taken from. Uh, And that's also where Basil got his name. Basil of Baker Street is named after Basil Rathbone, who used to read the Sherlock adventures. Have you ever listened to those old BBC radio shows? I haven't. Like like this or any other one? Yeah, the BBC, like for those who don't know, like this is like in back in the in the the long, long ago in the before time. um, This is like before TV and and long in the UK, long after TV. Um, This is something that people would do is listen to these radio shows. And so there's like Sherlock Holmes was one, but also the original adept. In fact, the original version full stop of A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a BBC radio Ooh, show. I didn't know not that. a book. Yeah, That's and it's all sick. And all Douglas Adams, of course. Douglas Adams helmed every successful version of The Hitchhiker's Guide up until the terrible movie that came out in the 2000s that we will shall not speak of and just know. Um but yeah, it started as a radio show and it all kind of built off of of each other and it's yeah. Um plug for Dominic Noble on YouTube. 
has a really great like hitchhikers timeline that shows how because like it was like all happening at the same time so these bbc radio shows were like a whole situation so people would have really known basil rathbone i mean this is still a thing in the uk when i was in college there i had a friend who um admittedly i i love you rosie you're a fucking nerd um (laughs) would listen to uh these (laughs) these like radio shows on the bbc and i was like what is going on and like you can listen to them online that's so um, fucking and they tell a story and they have people come and do voices and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, that's sick as hell. I yeah. fucking love that. But I'm and like I'm obviously like the parallels are there. So yeah, but they're they're obvious and intentional. And yeah, it's not even a question. I mean it the very is. first ever book or the the first print of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he does the same thing that Basil does to Dawson. He breaks down minute things about watson to figure out where watson came from mm-hmm. well like all good detectives i mean that trope is so common but it starts with sherlock well yeah so like the very first sherlock was called a study in scarlet and it's when he meets watson and that whole thing he's like you used a lambert stitch to which is something that a surgeon does and it's, he's basically using observational skills to deduce everything about dawson Sherlock Holmes did the same thing. So there are there are a lot of really fun like parallels between them. But yeah. I actually kind of prefer Basil over Sherlock. Oh, I love Basil. such a sweetheart. And you see that trope um, often in doctor characters. So it happens all the time on like shows like House. Anatomy. House. Yeah, House is a great example of it. Um, also, someone who is a doctor and also was Sherlock Holmes and does this in both roles is um, Benedict Cumberbatch is Dr. Strange, right? Dr. Strange does it. And also Claire does it in Outlander, but she's a time traveler. So she's from the future and she can't escape this. Nope. Never. I'm stuck here. (laughs) (laughs) We went from the flash to Outlander. Son of a bitch. We did. I haven't mentioned the Flash. I know today. because we've been talking about Outlander. Oh, just gen. I see what you're saying. Just <laughs> yeah. generally. Well, you know what? You know what's saucy and excellent? Outlander. Also saucy and excellent. Basil of Baker Street. Basil they of share Baker this Street. in common. It's just mm-hmm. totally reasonable connection to draw. Uh, but no. But I do love him, and and his um his capture always scared the shit out of me. And then his escape is so brilliant. And he executes is, everything yeah. so well. Like he has such confidence through the movie that, and which I think is what's sexy about him. Right. I think it's what he right. shares in common with Robin hood. This very like, I, like they have that in common. Right. Yeah. Just like really smart. And like, I got this and like, but I'll reveal like in an ocean's 11 way, like I'll reveal my how plan I did it later. This is what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So you just get to be excited with me along for the ride. I think they kind of share that in common. And so when he does get captured and he like, you can tell that he doesn't know what to do and he thinks he's fucked and he's like embracing death. Like that always freaked me out as a kid. You're like, holy shit, there is an end. I'm like, he's going to die. Like even on rewatches as a little kid, I was sure that that contraption was going to kill him. But his escape is totally badass. And he's like, he's like, if you take the square root of an isosceles triangle, I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it's it. It's like doing math and you're just like, I don't know what he's fucking talking about, but this is going to be lit right here. Mm. You know what he has in common with another saucy figure is Steve Kornacki, also who does a lot of math. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Dude, Steve Kornacki continues to be like an executive producer on Outlander. And I'm like, this is the same person, right? I'm convinced it is. They totally are. They have to be. 
well, he's written a book about American history and Outlanders like in America's now. And I'm like, well, about American politics anyway. I mean, I don't know. yeah. I don't it may, know. Well, it makes sense. Hashtag Kornacki thirst. Unreal. Talk to me about the best part of this movie. The best part of this movie? You mean my man Radigan? Ah. Yeah. Better even than Basil. And I really, as I talk about it, like Basil more and more. And like Radigan's even better. He seriously is. First of all, every movie has to have a great villain for the movie as a whole to to just be great. And the best part of about... that, I, th- I think we've learned they don't all. We've... No, no, I know. <laughs> yes, to be good, to be good, I to agree. be good. Yes. And I think the best part about Radigan is you have these dualities within him. He is super chill. He's super like refined. He's dignified. He is a gentleman. And the smallest things flip his switch and make him turn into this bestial nightmare. And it's it's yeah. being called a rat is the number one thing. And I actually have an answer for one of your questions about why he hates being called a rat. But like, can I give my theory before you tell yes, me? Yes, please answer? do. Because I like. I like my theory. So, so Radigan has this complex about being called a rat. Like anytime anyone calls him a rat, he loses his fucking mind, but like, he's super obviously a rat. Right. And so I'm like, are rats like not part of society? Like where are the other rats? Like, is he like not involved in polite society? Like, should he not be here at this, like this part of London? And, and so then they call him a professor. Yep. And I'm like a professor of what Radigan? Like what? what and why are you doing crime and and really what crime even is like ugh, it's various and sundry crime i and then and then his big plan that we'll talk about but i'm like he just turns to this life of crime and i'm like why how are you a professor what's going on so my theory is that he was like the only rat in mouse graduate school and everybody's racist towards rats and like he became a professor anyway and it's like this incredible like legally blonde story right except that no one respects him yeah except he doesn't win in the end and everyone hates him so he turns to a life of crime and murders anyone that calls him a rat because the racism towards him as a rat is what prevented him from pursuing a life as a professor after graduate school i that's and then he builds a robot queen to take over london to take over london because he's off right he's obviously smart right like okay low-key radigan's a huge fucking nerd he macgyvered that whole death machine oh yeah What's going on? He's obviously an engineer, yep. right? And so I think so, that it's because they were racist towards him as a rat and he became like bitter and evil. It's bonkers how actually pretty close you are. Um, I need you to preface your answer by telling me how you know this to be true. I just, so, I'm like so excited that you have something for me here because yeah, I was so, like letting my imagination run. This is a, this is fan fiction written by a fan in. Oh, uh, so it's couple, not an, it's no, no, not no, 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 hold on. It is. Disney has acknowledged that they are okay with this answer and will put it towards as a response to the question, what is Radigan a professor of? So they are fine with this fan fiction to the point that Disney acknowledged that this is a story about Radigan's backstory. Okay. All right, so, so we're looking at like mostly semi-canon, like not yeah. produced by Disney, but Disney accepts it. Yes. 
Go on. Shunned for all his life for being a rat in a mouse world, Radigan nonetheless managed to build a somewhat heightened academic career through. Oh my God, shut ro- up. I'm dead serious. Through rodent Oxford. And oh although God, he could never, dude, although he can never become anything more than a low-ranking chemistry professor, he also excelled in manners of engineering. <laughs> dude, it's crazy. I swear to God, I feel like you looked this up. But dude, I didn't. It's so I awesome. like, spent time thinking about it though. Yeah. Uh engineering and uh uh pol- politics and government. Oh, that makes sense. He was friends with basil they were basil was one of his students and radigan saw in basil the same kind of drive and intuition and skill that he himself possessed but he saw it in a rodent or he saw it in a mouse not in a rat and Mm -hmm. so eventually radigan and he were like very close that is why basil has a picture of radigan in his study it's not to be like that's a guy i hate he respected him. He was his mentor. He taught him a lot. But then it came out that Radigan wanted power. He wanted to rule. He wanted to basically turn the world upside down that had shunned him for being a rat. But he also wanted to always fit in. So he tried to hide that he was a rat and just said he was a really big mouse. Um, <laughs> also, fun fact for you guys, Radigan was originally supposed to be gangly and like sickly looking. But when they saw Vincent Price doing his like motions and acting during the voice, they were like, no, we have to make him like fucking huge. Yeah. And also like later when he's running through the clock tower, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember why rats are horrible. It reminded me of isn't there a horrible rat in Lady and the Tramp? Yep. Yeah. And it comes in and oh, and it gets yeah. the creepy with the baby. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, glad we that's the that whole negative part. Or that's the whole like bad like part that. of the movie because they think that the dog is the one that's attacking the baby. Right, and then the husband finds the giant ass rat. Yo, Radigan looked like that rat. I'm like, maybe there's a crossover right there too, because straight up, like, I was like, oh yeah, no, rats are nasty. I get why you're they're that guy. fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I accept that because I, straight up, that was what was like. I spent time thinking about this last night, and I did not look it up because, as you, as you know about me now, listeners. I'm not looking it up. Just I'm just going to make up some crazy bullshit and that's going to be my headcanon forever. Hell Scott's yeah. going to look it up. I'm oh, yeah. Not. I'll look it up all day. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just going to play in my imagination. <laughs> but that really is what I wrote down. Like, I was like, this is what happened to rat again. And like, rats are not part of polite society because there's no other rats. But but he is a fucking nerd. So I, I really appreciate the writing from Disney because everything he does is like, Okay, this dude records that song onto a record player to play. Like he is to such play a when he's going nuts. Like, yeah, yeah, and he builds the whole contraption, and he builds the evil queen mouse robot to take over England. Like he's obviously really smart. He's a huge nerd, mm. and it's funny that they do call him out. Like they do say, "Professor." It's not like that's like some low-key canon no, it's thing not just like, just like a technicality yeah. from the credits like they say that in the movie and i think it's funny that they throw that in there with no other explanation but it totally lines up because he's such a nerd mm. and he's i love it <laughs> so <laughs> i'm really sorry to do this to everybody if everybody loves this movie as much as we love this movie and if you love you know if you love radigan as much as we love radigan i unfortunately i have to give you some bad news uh, if you are 
like me, first of all, I don't care who you are. His world's greatest criminal mind song is a top five Disney villain song. It's so fuck out of here if you don't agree with me. As, yeah, it a hundred percent is. I would say I would rather listen to that than be prepared yep. any day. Hundred percent, right behind mm-hmm. you on that one. Yeah the the problem that we run into, and I'm going to give you the statistic first, and then I'm going to tell you the line. And then I have a question. Okay. Um, a not so fun fact about Radigan is Radigan is one of only four canon Disney villains to have killed children. Yeah. The other three are Sean Yu from Mulan. And we know that because they find the doll from the village that has been burned and everyone has been killed. Uh, the mm-hmm. walrus from Alice in Wonderland. We know that because we literally watch it happen. Um, and oh, Sabor, yeah, the little clams. Mm-hmm. Sabor, the leopard from Tarzan. It kills uh, Tarzan's adopted ape mother. Oh, yeah. It kills her baby. Um, That's correct. And then I want to just say this may not be canon, but as ever, when we discuss fucked up things from Disney movies, I would very much like to throw the uh, the people that run Pleasure Island into that mix. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Very I, definitely dead, children have died. Yeah. No, Those I'm kids sure have some of them are. Some I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, canon or not, I and, and dead or not, I would like to put the Pleasure Island people like high on the I list. Agree. Of- <laughs> 100%. I agree that the stagecoachman has definitely killed some kids. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. We can't go over something really horrifying without including Pinocchio. Oh, so. no, absolutely. Um, but the way that we know that Radigan has done so is the third line in the world's greatest criminal mind is literally uh, even worse than the widows and orphans you've drowned, which of the four that we just mentioned, including Radigan, that is the most descriptive like explanation of child murder we've ever gotten in any movie. Not just child murder, but murder in general. It just yeah. that's crazy shit to me. Like I had I heard it before I looked this note up and was like, hold the fuck on. Because at first, because and we're gonna I'm gonna have Lindsay tell you guys more about this, because he is very much a a queer coded uh villain. Yeah, I thought the line was actually worse than the widows and boyfriends you've drowned. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I was like, I what? oh my god so i was like what in the hell boyfriends <laughs> used i know i was like what the fuck that would take us beyond coding i know it would it would just be flat out like obvious good um, lord but tell tell me more about that Lindsay. like what because we have you're right this is like the one of the first dominoes to start that that kind of train yeah so it's not our first queer coded villain in disney and it's very super incredibly not our last, but the the ones notably that we've had so far have been Maleficent and Captain Hook. So we talked about this in the Peter Pan episode and mentioned Maleficent. I don't know that we talked about it too much. I don't think we went into too much. much detail, yeah. Well, and she's not as overt. She is part of this group, but um, but it's not done the way that like Radigan is done or I mean like Ursula, Scar. Jafar fucking you name it from basically from here on out and so the the problem to be clear like the reason that people don't like this um having these queer coded villains is because what Disney's doing is saying they're not 
they're not acknowledging any kind of like romantic relationship or sexuality here, but what they're doing are taking like harmful stereotypes and tropes and assigning them to bad guys so that there's this like subconscious connection between bad guys and these stereotypically queer tropes. And, but it's not about, they're not, it's not part of their story. Right. Yeah. So it's like, there's no line about boyfriends in the song. Right. And so that's why this is problematic. And, we're going to get this, like, I, I want to be clear, like, I just listed off a lot of villains that are everybody's favorite villains, and that both two things can exist at once, I guess, right? I think that's important to acknowledge that, like, these are some of my favorite Disney villains, too. It doesn't make it okay that this is how Disney's handling representation. And so what's what's wild is, like, there's not an insignificant amount of this in in Disney ages prior to the Renaissance. So it's like a lot of Disney villains. Like I would I would wager a guess that it is most leading up to honestly Pixar. Like this is this is really a thing in almost all of the movies. Like it's really really pervasive and it's just like too bad that this is pretty much all of their LGBTQ plus representation, right? All of it is is the villains for a really, really long time. And I just think like I we're not going to call this out and have a, like a wicked long conversation about it in every Disney movie from here on out, because otherwise this would like we'll become the queer coding podcast. Yeah. yeah, we're just because that's what we're going to be looking at. But I think that Radigan's an, a good moment to talk about it because it is the first domino. And this is very apropos of what's going on right now so if you're listening to this at some time in the distant future um this is being recorded right around the time of the florida don't say gay law and there have been walkouts at disney happening the last couple weeks people are fucking pissed and at pixar they just put out a memo saying that their lgbt stories are being cut by disney and so it's like super shitty like i can imagine that they wanted luca to be more overt instead of coding luca's one of the first examples i definitely of, got of that coding and protagonists yeah yeah well they're they're like very physical in luca like and they have a relationship it goes beyond their character tropes which is what takes it beyond coding like with these villains it's just sort of like the way that they are is stereotypically queer but with luca it's like it's part of their storyline their relationship is the core of that story have you watched luca yet uh i've only seen it once and i don't remember too much about it i do want to watch so it again good. because i watched turning red and was like there's a couple other movies i haven't seen yet like i turning everybody red so good please everybody don't freak out right now but i have not seen encanto killing me you would love it especially because you love the music the music in encanto is genuinely great yeah that's what you gotta, everybody go, keeps you gotta watch it it's well, so and it just oh won my God, best animated die. picture so yeah as it should <laughs> the oscars yeah. Oh <laughs> the my oscars God. happened it was ridiculous yeah no you should really watch encanto like it is it's fantastic and definitely watch luca again like with this in mind because uh, yeah. it's really one of the first times that disney's had any and in in its animation to be clear because there's yeah. we can talk about like lefou and the live action beauty and the beast or whatever but it's it's one of the first times i think that they've had queer characters basically Mm -hmm. ever and that it goes beyond coding and that it's good guys so yeah that's it's just like fuck you disney like (laughs) that sucks like really looking at it and just being like man so like all of the representation is through like 
queer coding of villains for the longest time and then now the the creators are coming out and saying that's because of disney that's not because it's not it's not the stories that we want to tell we want to tell those stories and fuck you right now disney and please consider that my rant for some time we will perhaps come back to this but yeah i think it's just it's just like man like the but the disney company like a lot of what they've put forward has not been great i mean there's a reason that there's a lot of warnings on these movies and some of it is a sign of the times certainly in like the golden age and stuff um but we're yeah. too we're too into an era where this was starting to become something that people were like accepting and growing to be like an everyday thing for these to still be popping up the way that they're popping up. I think that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I might I, I might have like Disney might have been my hero, but that's totally part and parcel not related to the issues that Disney is running into now. Yeah, and it's like I think that's why I harp on it in this episode with Radigan. Because yeah. we could talk about, like I said, like we're not, I'm not going to rehash this with every movie and we could pick any of the upcoming Disney movies to do it. Ursula is actually the best one and we will mention it when mm-hmm. we do that because she's actually based on a drag queen. Um, but, but I think it's apropos just right now in terms of when we're recording this and how much this is still happening at Disney in a, in a really public way now where the creators are starting to say, no, this is stupid. Like the, this is like not representative of the stories that we want to tell. Yeah. Um, but, but something I want to ask you about though, is mm. like, I want to unpack the difference between a queer coded villain, which Radigan certainly is. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman villain, which he also certainly is. Like, what's help me unpack the difference between those two ideas? So I think I think the the main point here is the gentleman villain is just like I you could almost make the argument that he's like a man of honor, but like a twisted honor. Um mm-hmm. like he he doesn't just outright kill Basil, like right in front of them. He could end everything right there when they capture him he could just be like i'm going to feed you to my cat right now well like any bond villain right it's like why are you what is this elaborate nerdy (laughs) contraption you fucking nerd radigan that's what that's go on but that's what i think about that it's all at the (laughs) at the core of every gentleman villain is ego he has to prove that he is better than basil and the the point up to that portion of the movie is that he actually has been one step ahead of basil the entire time it also lends a lot of credence to the idea that they like had worked together before too like it's yeah it's like really personal for radigan Mm -hmm. like it um seems like basil maybe got better grades than he did at at mouse oxford (laughs) mouse oxford (laughs) rodent oxford is what they called it well but you know what but they're obviously racist towards rats about it so i think it's mouse oxford and it's like a miracle that he got in that he just like like, he had to be that exceptional he's like a diversity entrance and people are pissed about it because it's like it's still okay to be racist towards rats i gave a lot of thought to this go on it's also a part of radigan wanting to be accepted by this mouse society he wants to be seen as refined because rats are gross. They're, they carry diseases. They are wild and angry and, and you know unhinged and shit. And we actually see that a couple times throughout the movie. Yeah. Most notably, um, it comes out twice. Uh, when he's called a rat during the, mo- during the song, he flips out. Um, but the, again, we see it when Flaversham refuses to continue working 
and uh radigan is like i would spend many a sleepless night if something horrible would be to befall her and then he crushes the little toy that flaversham made for olivia like and his eyes get all like blazing red and insane and his hair gets undone and that so you can see like he might try to be like masking all of this stuff but that's who he is underneath and so i think the main the main difference in the gentleman villain and i'm only using radigan as the example here um the main difference in the gentleman villain versus like the queer coded villain is the queer coded villain is just that's just who radigan is that's just that's his everyday everything the gentleman villain is this mask that radigan is trying to make everyone see him as so that they'll acknowledge his superiority he's not technically a rat um you know he is he is just as good if not better than basil or literally anybody that came before him i so so the gentleman villain is a charlatan yeah is what we're saying okay uh, yeah that, see that makes sense that's a that's an important distinction i think because not all of the queer coded villains are charlatans so that that absolutely makes sense yeah that's who they are like they are just that person they act that way ursula is really that way she's you know ursula to a degree could also be argued she's a gentleman villain in some ways like she does try to create this air of helping people and being nice to ariel i think ursula is less of a charlatan and more of a word twister um, no she's almost like she would be akin to like a trafficker like ursula is like everybody knows everyone who knows fucking anything knows that ursula is a bad place even ariel knows that what she's doing is stupid but she doesn't totally understand why because she's like because despite what she may protest she is in fact a child and um and he's a human and you're a mermaid yeah sit down bitch put a shirt on like i swear (laughs) i can't wait to talk about little mermaid unbelievable <laughs> anyway i would yeah i would argue she's more of like a, a mobster everybody knows it's yeah. just like they haven't told ariel because she's like a kid um but but i think that that's a good distinction and i think um i trying to think who else is a good example of like a charlatan type villain scar yeah but scar, no, scar scar's intentions is royalty. are known yeah scar's intentions are known yeah and uh, and he actually is wealthy. It would like more be someone posing as someone who's in the upper echelons would be more like what a charlatan is. I could argue Gaston. I was gonna think maybe Gaston too, although he Gaston's like a war general. He's a war so hero. He, yeah, yeah. He has his his like standing is based in a lot of hubris, but it's also like who he is is real. Like Anna Delvey's a charlatan, right? Yeah. I do not have time for this. Here we go. I do not have time for you. <laughs> Jesus. Dude, I'm telling you. All of my show, show recommendations so come funny. when we're recording this fucking show. <laughs> um, but actually, it's funny that we bring that up. Or it's funny that we bring up Gaston because another thing that's really not like funny, I guess, but another like interesting thing about Radigan is this this movie in general has numerous off-screen deaths. Um, and two of them are the result of falling. And falling becomes a pretty common villain death. When TikTok it's to, hang on. 
Yeah. Define that for me. Who else dies of falling before we even talk about like what yeah. happens in this movie? So Judge Frollo dies from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He okay. falls to his death. Yes, he does. Gaston oh, dies. Can we skip that movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we actually probably should do it. I haven't seen that in a million years. I yeah, Gaston also Gaston does fall. Dies. You're right. You're McLeach right. dies. The oh, uh, God, what's the poacher from Rescuers Down Under? You're right. He falls and he Scar falls off falls. the waterfall. Scar falls down the cliff, but he's he's eaten he's by the hyenas. By hyenas. Yeah, you're right. we that's another one that, that we see his death through shadow. Um, another villain right. that we see his death through shadow is uh, Clayton from Tarzan. He's hung on the vines, and we see his dead body hanging in the shadow. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, and then the last one that I could remember was Mother Gothel from Tangled. Technically, she's dead from rapid aging before she hits the ground but she fell out of the tower and died so i'm gonna give that one a little bit of space but yeah disney villain like before um before radigan we had the evil queen lightning strikes the cliff face she's standing on and she falls to her death obviously the boulder yeah, crushes yeah. her but she was dead when she hit the ground i remember talking about that for sure yeah, yeah. you're right there are a lot that fall mm-hmm. fidget uh, the fall is what c- leads to his death but it's not what kills him fidget can't fly so right. he is thrown from the balloon when they need to lighten the load to speed up to escape basil and crew and radigan throws him from the boat which like the bat is definitely the lightest thing in the boat. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just it's insane. Throw Radigan out. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Fidget is thrown from the boat. Uh, they are over the River Thames. So as soon as he hits the water, he's guaranteed to drown. He cannot get out of that water. I have to. I. I love you. The it's River Thames, Thames, right? Thames. Yeah, I knew I, I knew I fucking said that wrong. God. Okay, so this is another this is another little fun fact that I threw in specifically for Lindsay. Um, this is the last time a Disney animated film takes place in the United Kingdom. And what a crime! Because yeah. there have been which other ones were before Cinderella? Uh, no, Cinderella's Germany. No, Cinderella's France, actually. Um, oh shit! Uh, Peter Pan. Right. Yes, definitely. Um, shit. What was the other one? I had the list. I'm... God bless America. <laughs> oh, oh, um, um, um. Lady and the Tramp. Lady and the Tramp. Aristocats. 101 Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians. The Sword and the Stone. And the Sword and the Stone. Yes. Okay. And Robin Hood. Robin Hood. And that's correct. Winnie the Pooh. No. Winnie the Pooh's not. Is it really? Uh, honey. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. You're the right, hundred right, right. acre wood is a real place. Like, yeah, it's a hundred percent in. Um, it's a hundred acre wood percent. The hundred acre wood is it? It's actually called something else. It's not coming to me. You guys know what I'm like with names, but there is a a section of the forest where uh, where the real Christopher Robin used to play. Um, that's called like the hundred acre something. It's not actually the hundred acre wood. It's like the hundred acre forest or something. Like the hundred acre something exists out there. That's and, awesome. Yeah, it's a whole thing. That actually wasn't the primary place where Christopher Robin hung out. Anyway, mm. maybe one day we'll go back and do a Pooh Bear extravaganza. I think we should. Uh, I just think for one you. day. Yeah, when we're feeling right about it, we'll go back to Pooh Bear, who I love. Yeah. Anyway, 
this episode's getting long as fuck. We're it all is. Over the place. I know. I have two more fun facts for you guys. And One of them is Bam. Oh yes, please. What is your question? I had a question ages ago before we move into like final. Oh yeah, facts. sorry. We're about shit, to like I wrap about up, that. right? No, yeah. well, I've forgotten that I remembered. So we were saying Radigan's like in a top five villain, right? Well, who are your top five? Oh. Bro, everybody's got to know at this point. Fucking. I mean, I know Maleficent. Number one is Maleficent. Yeah. Number two, honestly, I'm going to have to say it's Hades. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. And I, honestly, it's because he's, he, again, he is one of those villains who I understand his reasoning. I get it. Zeus tricked him into ruling the underworld. Another one is Bowler Hat Guy from Meet the Robinsons because again I understand his his technically the real villain is Doris the top hat but if you guys haven't seen that movie I I highly I recommend oh my god it's one of my favorite Disney I movies know. of all time I'm waiting till we do it yeah um number four is probably Radigan um and then number five is probably Chernabog from fantasia just because i like his lore it's fucking sick he's a scandinavian folk legend but um i don't know who mine are i don't really have like a definitive list i don't yeah i can't imagine you're someone who would have thought about this before not that much i would think that like we'll have to like revisit it but i would assume that somewhere on that list would be like Potentially Cruella. Yeah. Potentially um, Ursula. Potentially Scar. Um, and like maybe Radigan because he is kind of awesome. Who was the? Who was your number two? Hades. Yeah, yeah. Hades, I think, would be on my list too. I think I would pick a lot of Renaissance stuff, but I would yeah. add Cruella, and I may include Maleficent. Maybe. I love Maleficent too. I love her so much. I know you do. I know, and I'm like, you're because you're right about how awesome she is. But I think I enjoy watching like Scar more. Yeah, like just sort of sullen like <laughs> approach to life. And his and song is a bop, dude. Like I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna say yeah, here and say like it's not a good song. What? It's no, it's no Radigan song though. Whatever it's that's true. called. Like there's that. What is the song called? The world's, the world's greatest, greatest criminal, criminal mind. mind. Yeah. Okay, fuck yeah. That song's a banger. That's it like really a, is. you know what? This is the start of that is a positive trope around Radigan is like banging villain songs. Yeah, it is. This is like Super the start is. of that, right? Because it's not that's not really a thing before this. No, most villains right? didn't have songs up to this point because we're about to get scars, we're about to get Ursula's, we're about mm-hmm. to get Gaston's. Um, poor unfortunate souls and I, I think that actually was the other thing i was gonna ask you it wasn't even your favorite villains but favorite villain songs and oh. i definitely poor unfortunate souls and poor Radigan, unfortunate souls is those a are banger on there for me. too yeah Radigan's and then song. oh and then i was gonna say mother what's her name her song would be on my mother top, knows best top five villain mother knows best would be in top five villain songs yeah for sure that's actually a really good one too um shit that one i'm gonna have to think about because hades doesn't technically have a song the muses sing about him but doesn't he does count. neither does Jafar. Jafar doesn't have a song. Jafar doesn't have a song. Uh, he does in the second one. Awesome. Scar's song would not be on my list. That doesn't count. If it's a direct if that doesn't count. Like the second one of anything from the Renaissance. Oh my god, yeah. Okay. There might be some good ones recently too. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go I don't back know, and look. It's a fun thought experiment. But yeah, for songs, I think Mother What's Her Name definitely Mother makes it on there. Yeah, she's got, she's got a pretty hot song. <laughs> Rapunzel's um, mom, who's Rapunzel's better than the mom, fake in, mom. Yeah. in turning red. <laughs> oh, hands down. Telling you, I would trade. 
I would take Rapunzel's life over Mei Mei's any fucking day. Yeah. You name it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that was some Trade bad these, shit crazy. Definitely. I thought that was going to be, uh, spoilers for Turning Red, I thought it was going to be legitimately a dream sequence when she showed up at the cemetery. Oh my God, I wanted it to be so bad. I couldn't believe that really happened. I wanted to crawl Dude. under the covers and die. I would take Rapunzel's life over Mei Mei's and live with my artwork and my gecko. Oh yeah. I swear, a chameleon. Chameleon, nuance. Very. Anyway. Oh, you disappoint me so much. That's literally the fucking line from the movie is when Flynn is trying to get her to go back. Oh, I don't know. And he's like, here's your paint. Here's your frog. It's a chameleon. Nuance. I love I don't that know movie. How to, I, I love that movie too, but I do not know it well enough to quote everything from That's it. True. I'm like, yeah, only no, I definitely nuance. <laughs> I, only I, your memory is ridiculous. I know. Like, I got more important shit to think about. It's than, true. Like, she does, guys. I have no life. I'm like, what? How do you know all of the, every quote from everything? I'm like, my brain is, I don't have the space for this. I know. <laughs> so the last, the last two things and we're going to get into our ratings and get out of here guys. Cause this is running a lot longer than I anticipated. Um, yeah, what's happening? I know. <laughs> um, so it may not be Bambi's mom and it's been a while since we've seen Bambi's mom. It has. She's living her boldest life. She probably. is. She's I, honest out. to God. I, I'm going to interrupt you to predict that the next time we see Bambi's mom, it'll be like nonchalantly walking through the streets of London because she's so it. confident now. She's like, Disney it. bet. Come and get me. I bet you the next time we see her is in Zootopia. <laughs> she's just <laughs> oh my God. Like, Yo, we have to eyes open. Yeah, I can't eyes up on that one. Such a good movie. So the uh, the only the other cameos that we do get in this movie is Bill the lizard with a ladder from Alice in Wonderland is actually one of yeah. Radigan's goons. He's one of the three people that tries to stop him from killing Bartholomew. It's totally is. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. It's the exact same. Um, and then we also can see Dumbo as a toy shooting bubbles out of his trunk in the toy shop. Another thing that that will bode well, you know, something not terrible this way comes, right? Yeah. The Renaissance. We're exactly. going to see that. Um, it's really fun seeing some of these first time things that are going to happen over and over again in Disney. And what what a fucking winner to pick is like one oh, of the first Easter eggs. Dumbo. For real. Fuck you. Fucking Dumbo. God. And then he shows up again as a fucking joke in uh, Roger Rabbit. He's on loan from Disney and he works for Peanuts. Shut the fuck up, dude. He shows Dumbo actually shows up, I think, in Aladdin. A lot. Too. Yeah, he's in Aladdin. Right? Doesn't the genie pull Dumbo out of a hat or something? I can't remember. I think so. I know that Scar is in Hercules. Um, there's a lot of yeah. really cool shit like that. But the other the last one is um this is one of the last films, not just for Disney, but entirely throughout Hollywood to feature the end at the conclusion of a film. Yeah. By the late 1980s, only Disney was still doing this. But by the 90s, even Disney was like, no one's doing this anymore. We're not going to fucking do this. You'll also notice that Disney, no, none of Disney's movies open with storybooks anymore. No. And that's something that Disney did well in this story was to like go back to something that was well known, but in a creative yeah. way, mm-hmm. which I can't believe this wasn't more popular. Like, what the fuck? This I know. great. It blows my mind. What this movie was great, Lindsay, and what is your what is your what is your uh what is your rating here? You know, I did lowball it a little bit. I I always come back to the fact that I think I gave Cinderella like an eight and a half. Yeah, I remember and that. So I'm like, okay, calm down. 
So I gave this like <laughs> like I need to like get get right with my own uh, ratings where things are at because I've given <laughs> ten out of ten to a lot of things and I'm just like yeah that was fucking awesome like in the eighties but I need to like <laughs> as we enter the Renaissance I need to refine my critical eye and so with that eight and a half that I gave Cinderella in mind I'm giving this a seven point seven five because I think this movie is really really good but it's not in it's not pushing that eight I think the next time yeah. Disney's going to get above that eight for me is going to be obviously the little mermaid, um, which is a film that I will very likely turn up to 11. So oh shit, we haven't coming. had a turn up to 11 in a while, guys. It's, I haven't turned anything up to 11 yet. It's true. Actually, you haven't. I've had one. two, um, but Would that's you turn up to 11. Uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. And I think Sleeping Beauty. I'm gonna we have to go back and look. No, we, we weren't even we during the turn to eleven. The yeah. 11 at that point, we the first thing maybe we I've only up, done one. Did we turn Spider-Man up to eleven? Yeah, that that's what it was. Used? That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I did use my turn it up to eleven for Spider-Man, and you know what? I stand by that shit. But in the timeline, I have yet to turn something up to eleven, and I think I will be for the Little Mermaid. So I, I say, Bravo Disney, you are getting there. We are ever so close. I cannot wait to see you on the other end of this decade. I'm 100% behind you. I I thought I love this movie. Like this I this movie is hysterical to me. It's got great music. The I gave it an 8.5 and the thing stopping me from giving it a 10 is despite how awesome this movie is, how funny it is, how great the story is, it still unfortunately looks like shit. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it does. It yeah, it's the only part about this that doesn't look like shit obviously is their first implementation of cgi in the clock tower um but also close-ups usually look fine like when at the beginning when fidget blows through the the window which always scares the shit out of me Mm -hmm, always it looked surprised for for having a its budget slashed too right um by katzenberg they did really well. I know it's it's looking a lot better. Cause it's one of the best looking films of the dark age. But I think it is still the best. in the dark yeah. age. I cannot fucking wait for us to watch The Little Mermaid and have our minds Dude, blow. It's going to be a completely different movie. Just completely like different style. Totally different <laughs> everything. Just yeah. I agree. Um, I'm really excited. What'd you, know you what? give Radigan? Radigan's always going to get a ten for me. There's Same. nothing I hate about him at all. Nah, like I. I quote every time like something bad happens um, to someone like or an animal or something like Wells. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my dear Bartholomew. <laughs> I don't know why. I just that shit cracks me up all the time. I think it's because he flipped out on him. But now he's just like, oh, now I have to do this. He's so like just dripping with just like saccharine. Dude, he, like, he's- it is. I love Radigan and I love his like I wish that we had more information about this. I would Disney because I know you're listening. I would fucking welcome like a live action or like newly new like live action the way that Lion King was right. Yeah. Like, fancy CG Radigan deep dive prequel the way that we I did, think it'd like, be Cruella awesome. And yeah. And I'm like this guy. I want to know. I'm behind what that. The- a hundred percent i'm behind that shit. i love him so much i love his just and and how he how much he overcompensates with that drip for being a rat like how much of a charlatan oh, yeah. he is like you said like he actually yeah i think i really 
I could see that distinction really well now between just the queer coding, which is absolutely there, and also like this gentleman villain yep. charlatan character who's like hiding his rat tail. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's well, and so if you notice funny. too, like he always has gloves on and he always has shoes on so that you can't see the rat talons. Yeah, because his feet look different from the mice. Exactly. From the mouse and, folk. And when he from the mouse folk. Uh, when he when all of mouse them. Uh, when he goes berserk in the clock tower and he like, I don't want to say like goes rat super saiyan, but that's basically what he does. And all yeah, of his clothes like does. rip off and shit. Like his, ta- <laughs> his hands get bigger and like talons come out and then like it blows off his he, like, shoes. Hulks and shit. Out. Yeah. He totally hulks out. And then you're just like, fuck dude, this guy's going to like straight up kill Basil. I dude, he straight up fed that one guy to the cat. Oh that yeah. Happened. That guy just was He's murdered. Dead. Yeah. He's straight he up dead. Oh, and the cat gets eaten by movie. dogs. Yeah, dude, which was there was a lot of characters died in this movie in a way that was not obvious to me as a kid. Yeah. And like, damn, man, I just and those, dude, was brutal. Looking at, looking at that cat, those dogs ate really well. Oh, yeah. I can't a, believe that cat boy. even had the energy to get up on that fence. <laughs> a big boy. <laughs> he reminded me of uh, Lucifer. Big time. He's had the Different same colors. sass. But yeah, same kind of attitude as Lucifer. And also, uh, the dog reminded me of Bruno. Uh, that's actually who he's based off of. That makes Toby. sense. Yeah, Toby, who's like friends with Basil. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of Bruno. Funny how dogs are good and cats are bad in Disney Yeah, except well. Aristocats. Except Aristocats. And of course, we skipped all of the dog and cat movies. But you know, because that's the not, unspoken agreement here. Yeah, it is. And I guess that's the deal here at Behind the Timeline. <laughs> there will be no cats or dogs. I for for reasons unknown, but it had we done like uh Lady and the Tramp, I think we would have talked about that a lot because there's the well yeah. and it's also super, super racist with the cats in that and like wherever ra- uh cats show up, including in our, our movie next week, so we can have a nice segue, but whenever they show up, they tend to be bad guys. That's true. And you can join us next week for an American tale. Oh my God. Just tell us, tell us a little bit about the divergence we're taking here in American tale. So first of all, American tale for a lot of people who don't know, this is not a Disney movie. This is a Don Bluth. It's not. It is. Yeah. It is our first animated, not a Disney movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had The Hobbit, but yeah, this is... Well, yeah, yeah but let's... That we, wasn't really animated. Let's I, settle down. No, I loosely call that a movie. I agree. <laughs> God, that was so rough to get through. Half the scenes didn't move. Like, no, they didn't. Was, or it was just, just them blinking. Op- it was just an opportunity for us to dig into the story of The Hobbit prior to the shit show that is coming for us in the rest of The, the Hobbit true. tale. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it... um. A lot of people don't really remember the first one. I dare say that more people in my circles remember Fievel Goes West than they do an American tale. It's kind of got the same thing as like people know about a troll in Central Park or like we're back. But you would still think like, oh, yeah, I remember when Universal was making animated movies. They made Fievel Goes West and The Land Before Time. Well, and I think especially with Don Bluth movies, of which there are many and, and listeners will recognize, like The Secret of Nim is Don Bluth, right? Love it. Um, that's like his biggest one. And actually the one I'm least familiar with. 
But The Land Before Time and The American Tale and Five Goes West are all Don Bluth films, among mm-hmm. many others. Uh, Anastasia is a Don Bluth movie. Very true. And I think a lot of us look back on some of these Don Bluth films and say, did that really happen? Did yeah. I have a fever dream as a seven-year-old? No, that's how I feel about like Rockadoodle. Well, me too. I'm like, did Rockadoodle happen or did I just like, <laughs> did I invent that in my brain? I feel the same way about Once Upon a Forest, which I intentionally put God, on the timeline I love because that movie. I don't even know who made that movie. Like, I, I sometimes either. wonder whether Once Upon a Forest was a fever dream. Like, I know that movie Fern was too Gully real. To is me. kind of part of this list too, even though it's fast, very real to all of us. God, um, I love that movie too. I once paid an obscene amount of money to watch Fern Gully in Amsterdam because I was like downloading. I don't know what I was doing, how why it was so expensive for me to get it, but I was so fucked up and I was like, must see Fern Gully. And I, it was like Wi-Fi or like, like using the 3G or something that I was connecting to. For some reason, it was really expensive for me to get Fern Gully. This was in like the early 2000s. Um, and for some reason, it was really, really expensive. And I remember paying for it so, so happily. So I was like, must see. Krista. It has Tim Curry and Robin Williams. How do you lose? Anyway. <laughs> it's so good. I digress so badly. But the point is, it as it turns out, listeners, we you did not hallucinate this. There is a movie where Fievel moves from like the cat ridden streets of fucking <laughs> of Italy. Russia. Russia? Italy? Where is does it, he come from? I'm pretty sure it's Russia. Whatever it is, he is he is struggle busing as an immigrant in New York City and as a and mouse. It's a cat. And so we are gonna continue next week with mouse tales from another part of the multiverse. <laughs> we are in the mouse multiverse. And oh we're gonna God, go we into it's like really them. kind of wild. Yeah, like with <laughs> yeah. the rescue aid society, like Welcome to the next branch of the mouse multiverse. This is like a really different branch that's directed by Don Bluth and which was not a fever dream of your childhood. So look (laughs) forward to our coverage of an American tale next week. Scott, take us out of here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as always, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed something and maybe even learned something. I know I learned a lot actually researching this movie. Uh, Be sure to subscribe wherever you list a podcast as well as follow us on social media. You can find the links for our sites and social media on the episode descriptions. And as I said in the beginning, if you'd like to support the podcast, we encourage you to follow us on Patreon or check out our website for all the timeline goodies, past, present, and future. And until next time, stay nerdy.